0: Many things impact a compliance program, how it runs and how well it works, but nothing has the same impact as the constantly changing and evolving technology landscape. In ComTech, a podcast on the intersection of technology and compliance, co-hosts Tom Fox and Valerie Charles will help you understand what changes in technology mean for your compliance program. Here's your hosts, Tom and Valerie.
1: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Voice of Compliance with Valerie Charles, my co-host on ComTech, on the intersection of compliance and technology. We are absolutely thrilled to have Parth Chanda as our very first guest. So, Parth, first of all, welcome for me. And Valerie, why were you so intrigued and wanting to have Parth as much as I was?
0: You know what? Parth is a pioneering Skywalker. He is doing all sorts of fascinating things in the space. And I, I really think, to be honest, I really think he's very different than a lot of the other entrepreneurs in the space because he has sat in the seat. He has been in-house compliance. And I think he understands that, you know, operationalizing these things and and using the technology in a way that is spot on for the function is really critical. Not just Parth, but also his team. The people he's hired also have have that practical experience. And so I think talking about that is going to be, probably really interesting compared to some of the other philosophies of the other entrepreneurs that we're going to talk to.
1: Part that really leads into talking about your journey to Lextegrity and your, your own journey in the compliance space. So I was wondering if we could just start with talking a little bit about your professional background and, you know, what you learned, how it informed many of the ways that you not only think today, but see issues, problems, and solutions. Yeah, well, thank you both so much, Having me on today, it's you know it's a real pleasure
2: to join both of you for this session, and I think you know your listeners are going to hopefully get a lot out of this whole series. And so, don't you know, really like both of you. I'm a lawyer by training, and I've really been a compliance lawyer from day one. You know, I started my career really with an internship in the World Bank's uh, Internal Investigations Group when I was in law school back in 2002, and I really caught the anti-corruption bug there through that experience. And I joined Sherman and Sterling's FCPA practice in 2004. I was really lucky to have a front row seat to some of the major matters in that kind of first big wave of FCPA enforcement in the early 2000s, and to really also learn the ropes from some of the pillars of the FCPA bar, you know, folks like Dan Newcomb and Phil Urofsky. And I eventually made my way in house, first to Avon and then to Pfizer, where I spent a decade or so overseeing their respective global anti-corruption programs during active DOJ SEC investigations and self-reporting periods in the case of Pfizer and. Ultimately, in 2017, I left my in-house role at Pfizer to launch LexTegrity. We're a software company. We build data analytics and digital workflow automation software for organizations to manage their corruption, fraud, third-party sanctions, and conflicts of interest risk. And so, yeah, I'm just really excited to talk to you today about what we've been doing and what we plan to do.
1: Parth, I want to maybe go into a couple of details around your professional experience and really ask you how that informed the work you're doing with LexTegrity now, and I like to start with Sherman and Sterling. And I just had the opportunity to interview Philip last week on 2020 FCPA Digest. And Sherman and Sterling, it seemed to me, was a great place, and probably still is to learn because there's so much institutional knowledge, not only in the in the book learning, but what you guys would put out to the community. I was wondering if you might be able to uh, give a few comments about that.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, again, I. Did learn the ropes from folks like Philip and Dan. And you know, I, I like to say the private practice, the experience at Sherman Sterling really taught me the what of the FCPA, you know, what you need to actually do to mitigate risk, to prevent issues, to detect issues, to investigate issues, and to really put into place an effective compliance program. And then being in-house then really taught me the how of doing that. You know, as an in-house lawyer. You know any in-house lawyer will tell you operationalizing a compliance program and the processes, you know taking what your outside counsel is telling you you need to do and then actually turning them into something that works in your company, that works with your systems, works in your org structure, works across all your markets and functions, you know is really tailored to your risks. That's the really hard part. well, well they're both hard, but that's really hard. And you know really being in-house taught me some of the right ways, and frankly, some of the wrong ways to approach operationalizing your compliance program, but it all really did start with with that formative experience back at Sherman and Sterling. I was responsible for the digest for many years, which was really a great place to cut my teeth.
1: So Parth, I teach a class in compliance at a local law school here in Houston, and it struck me yesterday in a class, and I have a, a co-professor, and he, like you, has been in compliance for about 20 years, but he's also been in-house with companies that have either gone through an investigation and enforcement action or having a monitor. Many compliance specialists and professionals like yourself really cut your teeth on that phase of the FCPA after you left Sherman Sterling, you're in-house, and now you're in the middle of a huge international investigation. At that point, you probably don't know what's on the line. It may be a lot. It may be not so much. But the things that you had to learn Very different than I think the next generation, starting with law students now, because they're not going to cut their teeth on a significant FCPA violation. So I really wanted to focus in on your in house experience and ask you what in that experience really helped you not so much understand how to operationalize compliance, but see some of the issues that companies can face in house, whether that be an override of internal controls or education or third parties or any of those, and how that really led to many of the things we see and hear now about the lextegrity experience and product suite?
2: Yeah, no, it's a great question, Tom. Yeah, I mean, again, it really does come back to that evolution over time. You know, Having started as an FCPA lawyer in the early 2000s, right, as you guys know, and you were there firsthand as well, you know, companies were really at that early stage. It was about policies and procedures. Let's get a policy and procedure up in place. You know, maybe our bribe payments are still tax deductible and you know, we really need to fix this problem you know, then we saw companies move more into the third party due diligence. That was the next area that companies tackled. the frontier where the leading companies were kind of in the early 2000s of really tackling their third party risk management. And then in the late 2000s, some technology started to emerge to the workflow automation technology to help companies move these kind of paper processes online. But then I really do feel like innovation kind of settled in for a long period of time companies made sure they had processes like third-party due diligence, conflicts, disclosures, training, FCPA training, a hotline. And when I joined Pfizer in 2011, you know, we we were just settling our FCPA matter. We had a two-year self-reporting period imposed on us. And Pfizer really gave me, you know, really fortunate, they gave me a mandate to really revamp and rethink the program from top to bottom. And what I took away from that experience of really having some, you know, again, we, we did have some time pressure, obviously, but you know, having some freedom to really look top to bottom at the program was that a lot of these processes that all, every company has hung their hat on for, for many years, you know, they're necessary, but they're not necessarily sufficient to manage risk in this space. And you know, what do I mean there? You know, the process works really for the 99% of your employees who are already trying to do the right thing. You're putting these you know, forms and, and workflows in front of them. They're trying to do the right thing. And, you know, maybe they're close to the line sometimes and those processes are going to work to kind of set them on the right track. But anti-corruption work is about finding those edge cases, that 1% or 0.1% or whatever that number is in your organization of employees who are not doing the right thing and are making inappropriate payments or hiring sham vendors, etc. And I really began to see, and this was kind of back in 2012, 2013, I began to see that data was really the future Data analytics was really needed to complement these again necessary processes, but really to complement these processes to really have end-to-end risk management across you know what the DOJ now describes as that lifespan of your risk. And so you know the DOJ and SEC seem to have really come to that conclusion and made that clear in their updates to the guidance. But I think more companies are are and should be aggressively moving into that space, and we'll obviously talk about that in a lot more detail today.
0: Well, Parth. Making the shift from sort of a, a very traditional C V to tech is something that, that I've done. So I know a little bit about it and I know I know that it takes guts and I know that you did it for a reason. So I'd love to hear kind of on a more personal level, like what led you to uh found LexTegrity and what were the kind of building blocks, I guess, that you put in place to be able to make that jump?
2: Yeah, I mean, on a personal note, I think it was, you know, as outside counsel. You spent a lot of time investigating and, and you know, finding issues, remediating them and working on fixing them and often leading to terminations of employees. I think I just realized I liked more of the proactive side of the house and building something that actually would prevent these problems from happening in the future. And that that was kind of what drove me to go in house. And I really liked that almost the engineering side of it. And so I think I learned a lot of lessons from my in-house experience and, and you know, being in these organizations that have these big FCPA investigations, obviously the biggest lesson, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure any day of the week. You, know, you can prevent a lot of the, the wrongdoing for a small fraction of the millions of dollars you spend by putting in better systems and controls. But the second thing was really people are people they're going to make mistakes they're going to get greedy sometimes they're going to make mistakes in judgment and in high risk situations and your goal as a compliance officer is really not to try to prevent 100% of wrongdoing but really to have the systems and tools in place to make that wrongdoing harder to occur and to detect it as soon as it as possible so you know it was really an evolution for me going in house you know i went in house to help companies kind of mitigate the risk but i also learned a lot in terms of how the how to do that and that Scalable technology was really the only way to achieve that because many compliance officers, I think, get lulled into a false sense of security in terms of how effective their compliance programs truly are. You know, today, compliance officers are relying on stats and metrics, you know, hotline reports, third party diligence stats, audit reports, code certifications, training completion, et cetera. You know, those metrics can definitely tell you that your compliance program isn't working. You know, you've got a lot of substantiated matters, etc., but to to think that those metrics tell you that your compliance program is actually effective without actually testing ideally all of your transactions for actual risk, I think that's where you know I sort of ended my in house career realizing like there is a better way to manage risk that's both more effective and more efficient, frankly. You know, because we spent a lot of manual time pulling all these metrics together. And for what? You know, not much value from a, you know, effectiveness analysis perspective. And so, you know, really maybe a long-winded way of me saying it was was all kind of tied together, my transition in-house and then my evolution in-house to realizing how technology was really the future of making programs more effective and really being able to test control on the front end and also test all of your transactions on the back end to make sure that you're not having systemic problems.
0: So I know a little bit about like Segrity and I, you know, I've seen the platform, but for people who haven't, maybe just describe a little bit about what makes your approach different and sort of like a, what in tech we would call a use case, but I think in reality would be sort of for, for our listeners, you know, explain like, what does it do?
2: So we are really the only platform today that brings technology across the entire spend life cycle from the front end, what we call the planning and due diligence steps of spend, all the way through to analytics on the actual spend. So think of budgets versus actual, we're there using technology across that whole spectrum. So that lifespan, you know, as the DOJ describes it. So we have a workflow tool you know, that manages third-party due diligence, conflicts of interest, gifts and hospitality, you know, very industry-specific workflows like HCP engagements for our pharma and med device clients. Our workflow tool is really agnostic, so we can handle any type of workflow. If if it can be reduced to a piece of paper and it goes to someone, we can manage it. We obviously have all sorts of bells and whistles like aggregate spend triggering and frequency triggering that make our workflow pretty special. But we have a workflow element on the front end. Then in the middle of our offering, our technology then integrates with ERPs and other downstream systems. So for example, a customer may have their donations approved in our workflow software. But then when their employee goes into SAP or Oracle to initiate that payment process, we have customers today that have connected our approval system to their SAP so that the purchase requester is having to link their proposed spend in the spend system to that approval. And then at the end of that payment lifecycle, our continuous spend monitoring module in our solution kicks in, which then takes data from those spend systems, the ERPs, T&E systems, HR systems, you know, the SAPs, Oracles, Concurs, Workdays of the world. And then we apply dozens of pre-built data analytics, you know, statistical, behavioral, policy-based analyses to that data to escalate those highest risk transactions. Every transaction, every invoice, every expense line item gets a score in our system. And then those scores at an aggregate level for a transaction and those transactions are escalated to internal users and in compliance or audit in the organization. And so, you know, the really special part of our solution is that end to end element of it. And, you know, when you take it to its extreme, as some of our customers have done, we can go as so far as validating the approved amounts of a transaction against the paid amounts. We can take third party due diligence results. Like if you have high risk third parties in your diligence process, we can risk weight them higher in the mo- on the monitoring side so that that first invoice, when it comes in, it's flagged or at least weighted higher. And more interestingly, we can take kind of low-risk third parties from your diligence process, who you think are low-risk, who are your paper suppliers, and actually validate, are they showing up in high-risk expense categories and things like that as well. So that's what the overall product does. But I do want to make sure that is the full suite. It is very modular. That's another kind of special element of our platform, we've built it very modular because we want to meet meet our customers where they are on their journey. So if you have a third-party diligence process that's getting the job done now, great. If you want to add data analytics to that, we can do that. If you're just starting your journey and, and you're looking to do an RFP for a third-party process, we'll show you what an end 10 solution could look like down the road. And again, you can implement part of our solution and grow it over time over the next year or two. So Hopefully that gives you uh, Valerie a little bit of a clearer picture in some of the listeners.
0: So understanding that you know you have some kind of out of the box algorithms that you're using. Do you employ a machine learning? Does it get smarter as time goes on for that particular client?
2: Yeah, exactly. So we have what we call risk learning, which is a machine learning element to our solution that again will learn over time. So there's two core elements of our solution. One is that we have this pre-built library of forensic analyses that are already built in the platform. There's dozens of them today. They're all highly configurable by the customer with we have some smart presets because there's obviously, you know we know what the sanctioned countries are, etc. But every company by industry, even within a company by business is going to have some slightly different risks, historical issues. So we allow our customers to configure, highly configure those analyses to their risk. To be clear, not a single data scientist, no scripting involved. We have a front-end user interface, no code way to configure all these data analytics. And then there is a risk learning element where as transactions are followed up on, flagged, etc., and they're resolved, whether they're a match, not a match, they're going into remediation, they're substantiated, the risk model learns at an analysis level and improves over time. And then across all of our customers over time, will improve the risk algorithms as well.
0: So you are working kind of with clients to take their inputs to continually improve. I mean, I, I know that these kinds of products, you know, you re-release and update, evolve all the time, usually in, in such a way that the client doesn't feel it. But are you doing that with client input? Are you working actively with your client base?
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So yeah, Part of the reason why we created this company is that we really did want to—we wanted to bring this kind of technology that's really only available today to a handful of companies who've invested, in many cases, you know, 15000000 dollars in having big forensic accounting firms come in and build these bespoke data lakes, SQL uh, engines, etc. We wanted to create a really scalable solution that any size organization could use. I mean, our smallest customer is eighty employees. Our largest customer is 160,000, I believe, today. And we're in late rounds with many, many even larger companies today. So we've really built a solution that can support any size company, but really bring any of those organizations to the best-in-class solution. And part of our commitment to our customers is to improve our product, not just from a feature set perspective, that goes without saying, but also on the analytics engine side. So... You know, we're a software company. We're not a big four. You know, our incentive is to have the best product out there on the market in your hands as quickly as possible. You know, not to bill you hours of time. So right. you know, we've launched partnerships. We have this initiative called the Integrity Analytics Collective. It's a partnership with us, Ethisphere, Ropes and Gray, some other leading expert firms. You know, to reinforce our commitment to bring learnings from industry into the platform to improve our analytics engine over time and add new analytics, all free of charge and part of the improvement of the product. And frankly, a couple, maybe a month ago or a month and a half ago, we launched seven new analytics for the entire customer base You know, in the platform for free. And the fact that you know it's highly configurable means that a company can then spend their time understanding those analytics, seeing if they're applicable to their business, putting their different risk weighting, etc. on it as well. You know, because again, a consumer goods company is going to have very different fact patterns, historical issues than a pharma company. And even within pharma, a pharma company that's in rare disease may have a different risk exposure than someone that, you know, than a company that's selling generics. And so we want to really make it configurable. So, yeah, it's a mix of continuing to improve the product. We've, frankly, even Valerie have done some demos with prospects who've told us about analytics they'd like to see that are on our roadmap. And we've actually been able to go back to them for a follow-up demo and, you know, a week or two with that analytic actually in the production environment. So
0: for folks who may not be in this headspace at all, people who really just might have purchased one or two very obvious point solutions. I mean, most everybody has a hotline and case management system. You know, a lot of people at this point have some form or fashion of a due diligence program. But you know, when companies are starting to think about this, because, you know, I, I never go to a compliance conference where there's not multiple panels on machine learning and AI. And, and in reality, most people are, are not comfortable yet with that and don't really know what that means. Where do you think your kind of average bear compliance professional who's interested in getting smart to this, but maybe has a very kind of basic program at the moment, what should companies be prioritizing? Where should they start?
2: Yeah, no, it's a great question. And again, I, I see it as, you know, phasing is, is important. Again, a lot of this will depend on, you know, it'll depend on the budget you have available to you, how much of a remit you have from your C-suite, your board to revamp, you know, everything head to toe. You know, I do believe that the long-term vision for every compliance organization should be to revamp the entire lifecycle, if not to replace things, because there's obviously change management involved sometimes you know, in tools that have been embedded for a while, is to at least integrate wherever possible these these systems together. But, you know, again, I would say, from my perspective, start with the data and move backwards. That is the lowest hanging, highest value fruit available today for compliance officers. You know, again, that is where your risk is on the, the payments that are going out the door, the, the distributor transactions, the T&E, that is where your risk is and where you is the closest point to the true risk. And so to the extent, again, assuming that you're not doing transactional-level risk scoring of that data, I would say, if you had to prioritize, I would start there and then kind of move backwards and think about how your existing systems could be upgraded to help support those analytics and that data approach. But I would really start there because you really do unlock one a tremendous amount of risk information and comfort around the effectiveness of your program when you are applying data analytics to 100% of the spend. But you also unlock all sorts of value for other functions. You know, your investigators who get a hotline report can now come in and in 15 seconds, they can see all of the transactions for that subject, vendor or employee, all risk scored They can see what analyses they've hit for in the past. They don't have to go to finance. They don't have to wait a week to get data and they don't get in you know, a raw data set of all the T and E expenses of that employee. Everything is risk-scored at a line item level. You know, your compliance team that's really relying on ERM and, you know, survey-based risk assessments, that's great, but that's probably going to tell you Sweden is not very high risk for you from an anti-corruption perspective. But your spend data may tell you a different story. You may have some hotspot that you had no idea about in a you know, traditionally low risk market. So there's just a lot of value to un- unlock there. And you can move slow that you do not have to do a global implementation of data analytics. You can start regionally. You can start with a small set of your highest risk markets because it is all based on build, bringing in that data. You can start with a subset of the data and kind of grow, grow from there.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. In, in these panels and things on kind of technology and compliance and, and data analytics, especially compliance, you occasionally get somebody who says, All the focus on this is taking away from the cultural aspect, you know, the sort of training and the concept that the front end proactive efforts make employees do the right thing. You know, the focus should continue to be on those kind of feeding the top, not looking and policing the bottom. And for me, I think think it can be both. I think it can give you an effective way to test whether or not the trainings and this sort of more cultural or softer aspects of the compliance role are working. Because if you make those efforts, you may actually see improvements in those numbers.
2: Exactly. I mean, I think that's spot on. We literally were talking to a prospect yesterday that said exactly what you just said. They said, we'd love to launch, we're, we're planning to launch a new sales and marketing e-learning module later this year. We'd love to see how the data changes in our sales and marketing colleagues in their T&E risk scores post the training going live. And so we're working with them to figure out, you know, are there ways of really phasing in the approach to really just have kind of A B test of impact? So, yeah, no, I fully agree. And I think, again, that's why I think the processes on the front end are necessary. I just don't think that they're sufficient for full risk management, but they're definitely very necessary. And that's why, you know, we didn't just build a data analytics tool exactly for that reason, Valerie. Like, we still believe that there's improvements to be made on the front end preventative side by making those tools easier to use so that you get buy-in from your business and engagement from your business to also provide data on that front-end side. That's where we also think there's a big gap in the marketplace right now, is a lot of those tools don't actually provide any data to the approvers. So I'm approving a third-party diligence transaction with blinders on to any other third parties that exist in the company, or I'm approving a gift to a government official. I have no idea how many gifts this person has received. I have no idea how many gifts this person's given. I have no idea what the risk is in this market. So kind of bringing together, bringing more data even in that front end process could be really valuable. Because again, you want to stop everything there, obviously. And you you hopefully with good controls on the front end, you can stop a lot of it. But I think everyone has to be realistic that some of it is not going to get stopped on that front end. And that's where you know, the data on the back end would help.
0: Well, I'll share with the audience that I have told Parth offline that I, I really think he needs to have the marketing tagline, show me the money. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's, it's free advice, free advice. <laughs> Last question for me, and then and then Tom might have a, a follow-up or two, but what's next for Alex Tegrity? Where do you see this going? What's your personal sort of goal for the company? I think
2: to us, we have built a risk operating system around spend. Again, we're not claiming we're doing every single risk domain that you can think of, but around FCPA risks, spend-related risks, conflicts of interest, and things like that, where there's transfers of value, there's potential fraud, bribery, embezzlement even. You know, we've built an op- operating system. So for us, the future is continuing to integrate that operating system, integrate you know, more integrations with you know, procurement tools, Financial tools, you know, we've got you know, integration with Concur and SAP and Oracle, but, you know, a broader set of integrations where we want to go more and more to our customers and prospects with a value proposition that, which we, we believe we already have, but we want to continue to find. of We've done all the hard work of figuring all of this out. And a lot of the things that you guys, you know, as a, as a potential customer have wanted to do, we have done the government has seen what we've done. You know, There's a reason why 50% of our customer base today are companies that have a publicly disclosed FCPA investigation and are choosing us to remediate their programs because we're the serious solution to address these serious risks. And so I think that's a key area for us is to build that continuous improvement of how this data flows across approval, third party and monitoring together. So you have this real robust end-to-end spend uh, feedback loop. And um, the second piece is continuing to expand our analytics and provide more value to our customers with the Integrity Analytics Collective. And really, you know, the, the final piece is just getting the word out. I mean, thank you guys for this opportunity because we do feel like we have something transformative here and it is something a lot of compliance officers are itching to understand how they get to where we want what we've built. And they're trying to figure out how to get there. There's a lot of snake oil being peddled in this space, AI, robotic process automation, blockchain data collectives. There's just a lot of snake oil that's being sent out into the marketplace. And I think if you're a compliance officer, you're just very confused right now. You're probably sitting there thinking, well, okay, I need to hire two data scientists, a visualization tableau expert, and then, but the data scientist doesn't know anything about forensic accounting. Oh, no, now I need to hire a forensic accountant. And, you know, our value proposition is, look, we've, we've all done this for 20 years. We've worked with, our teams worked with SAP for 15 odd years. We've figured it out. And so, you know, just that third part of what's next for us is just getting the word out, frankly, and just getting in front of more compliance officers so that they don't make the mistakes of going down these long, expensive r- routes that, then often end up in a lot of ongoing costs, a lot of maintenance, and also sometimes too much noise from the data. So that's I'd say kind of my third mission for this year is just kind of getting the word out.
1: Unfortunately we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I was wondering if our listeners wanted any more information on Lextegrity, any of the products or concepts or services you've talked about, where could they go?
2: Our website, obviously ww.lextegrity.com. We have a whole resources area with case studies and articles. They can go to Ethisphere.com. There's an slash Lex Hegarty. There's a whole data analytics partnership we have with Ethisphere uh, where they can learn more and see infographics and resources and webinars, etc. And then at any point, anyone can feel free to reach out to me personally on LinkedIn or pchanda.lextegrity.com or any of our team members. We'd love to chat and talk about how we can help.
1: Parth, I'm going to let Valerie thank you herself, but I wanted to thank you because. I was blown away the first time I uh, visited with you about uh, what your vision was and what you were accomplishing. And I really can't think of a better person to open our new ComTech series with than than you. So I wanted to thank you for your service to the community, what you meant to compliance and continuing to be not only a product, but a thought leader in compliance.
0: We wanted the stars and here we yeah. are. So yeah, well, thanks a lot. This is great, Barth. Good luck. No, that's
2: Very kind for both of you. Thank you so much for having me on.